Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this Friday morning. Hopefully you've got a hot tea or a hot coffee on this cold Friday morning and are looking forward to a conversation of inspiration. And speaking of inspiration, I'm so pleased to welcome today my guest, Lorna Greville. Lorna, thank you so much for being with us. Hello, thank you so much for having me and for inviting me. I'm so delighted to be here. Not a problem. Small housekeeping note just before we start. If anyone has any questions at any point, please do feel free to post those in the comments section of the LinkedIn Live and we'll be getting to those towards the end of today's session. Anything that comes up and as they come up, please do type those in the comments section. But Lorna, for those people that don't know you or may not be familiar with what you do, do you want to give yourself a short introduction? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name's Laura. I am a client director at a fantastic company called IDP Connect. My Most of my career has been spent in and around education. So for the last six years, I've worked in higher education. Prior to that, I worked um, in marketing and prior to that as a teacher. So uh, for a very long time, my life has been really focused on supporting young people um, about their, whether in their future. So either teaching them English, which is what I did a long, long time ago, or supporting them to make the right choice for their future. And for me, that's specifically been about university, which I think is a fantastic uh, path for many people, although there's lots of others out there. But certainly university and higher education has been my specialty for a long time. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I think the two of us have such an interesting dynamic because, of course, as we know, or as you know, being very pro-university, but I didn't go to university, I went a different route. So I think there's lots to discuss today. Uh, and kicking off our discussion, as any good LinkedIn Live session should, we wanted to share this sort of staggering statistic, really, that more than 70% of people who are currently employed are considering a new job. And I, I think we wanted to start and raise with this purely to show that maybe not everyone is alone in, in feeling this and also how applicable the today's session will be. It's not just people coming out of university. It's not just people that are on a job hunt. Perhaps there's ways that we can help people feel more fulfilled within their role without moving on. Would you agree, Lorna? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a natural position to be in. Particularly, we've been all stuck in our houses for many of us for the last two years. Even if we've been able to go out to work, we've nonetheless been stuck at home the rest of the time. And that kind of stagnation drives us to feel the need to discover something else, do something new. And some of our kind of deep creative instinct may be not being fulfilled, not being met. So thinking, you know, work is a really natural place to think, you know, this is not doing what I needed to do. Let me look elsewhere. And for many people that might be right. Um, but it might not be quite right. And actually you can think about ways to refine joy in your own in your own career so far. Yeah, definitely. I think you said it earlier as well. We're still on sort of the new year, new me, you know, January's coming to a close, but people are still on that kind of curve of making changes and improvements and looking to the year ahead. So an important conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's begin by talking at the start of uh, most people's journey then, which is sort of thinking about career path. And mm. I know you've got some statistics again to share about the choice overwhelm facing people looking at higher education. Yeah, absolutely. I think choice overwhelm generally is a challenge. Making decisions is really difficult because every time you make one choice, you're cutting off all the other paths. You know, if you have if you have science or art or something else laid out to you, if you choose one, then it feels like you're cutting off the rest. So that's that in itself is really really difficult. Like I said my specialty is university, and so just to give some context for anyone that's maybe leaving school and going to university, there's a system called UCAS where students will apply. On that system, there's more than a 370 institutions and more than 50,000 courses. So imagine being 17, 16, 17 years old, which is the point at which you start to do your research and work out where you want to go. And you're faced with 50,000 options. You can absolutely see immediately 
that the choice of oil is overwhelming. And that's only for people that have chosen to go to university. Outside university, the possibilities are literally endless. So choice overwhelm, I think, is a challenge for young people, but I think it's challenging for all of us, where we always think there's other options, and those other options are given to us every single day. Mm, definitely. And I think um, what's something that comes massively into that as well is like fear of missing out. So even if we're, you know, relatively happy in doing what we're doing yeah. now, we always maybe think that the grass is greener or that there's something better out there and it may yeah. not always be the case. And, you know, presented with so many choices as that, there's, you know, no Absolutely. doubt that that's going to add to it. Absolutely. I turned 30 a couple of years ago and immediately started thinking about all of the lives unlived, all of the things that I'd chosen not to do in favour of the things that I've chosen to do, and just thought about where my life would be if I had done all of, all of those things. You know, going back to that statistic about 70 people thinking about new jobs, I can imagine there's loads of people in a similar boat to me in 30s or 40s and just looking back and thinking, oh, if only I'd gone to university, or oh, if only I'd not gone to university. Um, I think it's really common to look back and have have like retrospective FOMO as well as looking forward and thinking and I really don't want to miss out on all the options available to me it's really really tough yeah definitely and uh, sort of on the opposite end of the scale then as well there's kind of this not knowing what is out there kind of ethos as well so there's all these different yeah. courses and paths that we can take but maybe not knowing the end destination is a contribution to the confusion do you think uh, yeah absolutely and I, I think um, so much of this is, is really about exposure and if I think about myself and many of my friends, we've all ended up in very, very similar careers to what our parents did. I think we had a conversation earlier about, you know, your parents doing amazing parties and clearly had, uh, you know, a, an affinity to creating events. And for me, all of my family are teachers. Mm. My parents are teachers. All of my stepsiblings are teachers. That's something that's in my blood. And I really thought I just I was really resistant to that. But that was what I was exposed to. And I think many, many people are exposed to specific things. So the knowing what's out there is limited to personal experience. You know, mm. I, I think I would never have known that the, a job like mine, where I just get to, to help universities to connect with students, I would never have known that was out there as an option. And I still get to work in education, but doing so that's leaning into my strengths. And similarly, I think, you know, your, your job as well is it's quite invisible when you're 17 or 16 or 15 or even just wanting a career change. There's so much out there that is invisible, but incredibly fulfilling, really exciting and, and actually quite accessible. So we can talk a little bit more, I think, about how to find what's out there really around fulfillment, because I think it's understanding what's important to you to start seeking out the things that you don't know. It's really mm. difficult to do that. Um, it's, uh, you know, that kind of graph of like, you know what you know, you know what you don't know. But actually, this is a realm of like, you don't know what you don't know. And so you're going to have to go out and seek, seek those things. Mm, yeah, definitely. And as I mentioned at the start as well, we've obviously taken very different paths in terms of higher education. And um, for those people that don't know, I took an apprenticeship and that's how I ended up in the events industry. Uh, so, you know, adding to those those choices of university courses, you've got other paths to consider. And obviously, there's probably just as many um, apprenticeship courses out there mm -hmm. to add to the overwhelm. But do you think that there's kind of a one path and kind of flock mentality going on with lots of people thinking that university perhaps is the only option? Yes, I really do. And I kind of I actually really think that's kind of it fits in with media misinformation. So that's something else that we can see on the screen here. How often do we hear about, about apprenticeships in the news? How often do we hear about paths that 18-year-olds have taken that aren't university? You know, university is in, is in the, the news so, so much. But that narrative is actually really confusing because universities at once are kind of positioned as everyone's looking for graduates, everyone's looking for somebody that's got a degree. 
But at the same time, there's this other narrative about, you know, people that drop out of university end up being billionaires. And this is the kind of Zuckerberg story, right? Yeah. And also there's lots of criticism about universities, you know, in general about, um, which I think broadly unfounded, to be honest. But that narrative is really confusing. But universities in the press way more than any of the other options. And I think that's because university seems like one one path. We've just talked about 50,000 different options within that, but it feels like one path and is quite um, quite normal. And then you've got apprenticeships. You also have things like the forces um, but, and also just going to get a job. So there are so many different options, but all of those are much more um, scattergun, uh, I, I guess. But it's worth saying, you know, yes, it's uh, it's broadly kind of one, one path, but it's still less than half of 18-year-olds going to university. Um, so it's not a majority. It's just the biggest single path. Hmm. If I think about my own journey, I was academic at school. And so it was a given that I was going to go into university. I was really good at reading, got good grades in pretty much everything without much effort. I'm sure there's lots of people that fit into that category. And so university was the obvious option. Mm. My kind of referenced, you know, having a couple of uh, weeks of really thinking about like what my life would have been like if I hadn't done certain things or if I'd studied something different. And one of the things I was thinking about is being a landscape gardener. No one said, you know, Lorna, you're really clever. You could apply this to landscape gardening. And actually, I love spending time outside, growing things, that's fantastic. And I think those options aren't laid, aren't laid out really. And if you're, if you show a proclivity to one thing, that's where you're encouraged to go down. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I, I do think that you're right about there being something of a, it being the obvious choice and everyone kind of doing that because your friends are doing that. Mm. It's interesting. That's sort of based on assumption almost, isn't it? That it's very sort of broad strokes on, oh, you know, you're academic, you'll, you'll go to university. That's rather than what you're saying about the alternative of possible landscape gardening and linking back to the parents and the family and the exposure kind of thing as well. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, um, my brother didn't go to university either. I have an older brother and he's actually works in a high end sort of law firm now. And without the university degree, he's been able to do that. So something that you might consider more academic still had a practical approach and an option. It's maybe just finding it and um, looking for it almost. And yeah. I was obviously very comfortable in doing what I was doing because he had already walked somewhat of the path or of certainly of that direction, at least with the practical learning. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's quite interesting also is some of the, some of the careers that we think of as being incredibly academic, things like medicine. Medicine is an incredibly vocational course. You have to be, of course, outrageously smart to get into it. But when you're there, it's, it's actually super, super practical. And so much of it is very, very hands-on learning, which is way closer to being an, uh, being an apprentice and doing an apprenticeship, particularly because you're often in um, in, uh, in hospitals immediately. There are lots of universities now that they actually advertise and think about one of the pluses of their courses being you're at hospital from your first year. And that's mm -hmm. the way that it's sold to really academic young people is that it's practical from the get-go. Um, so I think there's, there's also lots of mis misunderstanding about that university is only for academic people too. Mm, no, definitely. And um, I think actually I do remember that from looking even at events or psychology courses, whatever I was looking at to go to university, because I did consider it as an option. Mm. There was definitely a year out or time out to do practical applications in each of those. So that, that is worth mentioning. Um, yeah. But just before we move on, I think touching upon media and misinformation as well, I think we can't move on without mentioning perhaps social media. You talked about Mike Zuckerberg <sighs> there dropping out. And obviously there mm -hmm. is a lot glorification of these hugely successful people who have dropped out and have made you know million multi-million businesses do you think it's fair to say that those are perhaps a rare case and maybe they're just because they're in the media there is probably other people that have not been so successful and also obviously this 
glamorizing of the social media career and things like that, which is possibly unattainable to the to the majority. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Those people are in the minority. It's why they're so everyone knows their names because there's just one of them and they've they've done it and they've done it really well. And it's not to say that it's not possible. It's just not likely. Um, They, you know, tapped in something that was very unique. It was at the right moment very serendipitous to, to to land that at the time, kind of the same with, um, you know, Bill, Bill Gates doing the way that he did it. Um, it is quite unique. And I do think social media um, generally, and becoming an, I think, you know, becoming an influencer was one of the fastest growing uh, aspirational paths for young people. And that's not to say that that's not valid. Of course, there's loads of people doing it. Um, and content creators on like Instagram and TikTok actually get paid really well from those platforms themselves. But that, again, it doesn't mean to say that that is for everybody. Um, and also potentially not the most stable path. We've seen how much social media has evolved. It's evolving rapidly all the time. And so what's popular with the billions of us around the world right now may not be in two years time um so i think it's a really dangerous path to go down i think i think social media the other side of that is is also that you know that we're all consumers of it so whether you want to use it as a career is one thing but potentially there's also something around using it as inspiration for other things not that you want to create your career on instagram on tiktok but that you're inspired by people on that and i think again i always think about social media as a diet and that, you know, it's a bit like what you put in your body, you want to put lots of good veggies in there, lots of loads of vitamins and social media as well. I don't want Kim Kardashian. I don't want that in my brain. Mm. No shade to her at all, but that's not, that doesn't feel healthy to me. And so I think it's really important to see all of the media we're consuming as a diet for our brains as well. Mm. And I think what you were just explaining there is kind of valid to, to all industries as well. So you, you said not sort of um, with Instagram and things, it's sort of trends and it comes and goes and ebbs and flows and things like that. I think it's worth mentioning that for all kind of career paths to not get too specific perhaps in terms of one skill because that could become redundant as technology moves on or as society moves on. So having a broad range yeah. of skills is a good idea. Uh, Absolutely. But let's move on to, to mindset. So we've talked about social media diet there already leading us in. Thanks there, Lorna. Um, what's your kind of recommendation and thoughts around the the mindset approach to being fulfilled in a career? Thinking about this ahead of time, the thing that my brain kept coming back to was this psychological concept called the locus of control. I imagine lots of you know about this already, but just if you, in case you don't, uh, the locus of control is the idea that uh, there's kind of two ends of a spectrum. At one end, there is an internal locus. And that means that you feel inside of you, kind of internally, you have control over your future and your destiny. Maybe you think, you know, I can make things happen. At the other end of the spectrum is external locus control. That might mean that you're really motivated by extrinsic things, but it also means that you maybe don't feel completely in control. Sometimes the things that aren't going your way, you might be telling yourself, you know, why bother? What's the point? I don't have any control here. And so much of this, I think, is... um, part of what makes somebody both successful in some of the traditional ways of thinking about that, but I think also happy and joyful and fulfilled. Um, There are lots of goods and bads about both those sides, but ultimately people that are very successful are further down that spectrum of internal locuses of control. And I think there's, it's worth thinking and talking about here, how to move yourself further down into that internal locus. If you're feeling that you're out of control and you don't quite know how to move forwards and you feel that, you're at a disadvantage against uh, the rest of us because it's not that there's not, there are disadvantages out there, but an internal locus control can often get beyond that. Mm. 
No, I'm a big fan of the locus of control. Just to remind yourself of what's within your capability or within your literal control and what's not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In terms of starting to think about moving your locus of control further down, I think there's a couple of things on here that are really crucial. And first off, it's really about taking action. So taking action can be going out into the world and giving your CV to loads of people, but actually also it can just be reading and understanding yourself and the world better. Um, I think also, and it's not really on here, but actually just having mantras for yourself. Some people do this in the mirror, <laughs> which I don't do, um, but literally just talking to yourself saying, I am in control. I can do this. I can reach my goals. I will discover what I need to do to reach my goals. I will learn what I need to do to reach my goals. And telling yourself that all the time is really crucial because if you don't believe it yet, you need to tell yourself that all the time. Um, and then kind of what comes out of that is hopefully a little bit more confidence and a bit more feeling that you should and could and will do these things. Um, and hopefully also inspire a drive for action. And step one really can just be seeking out books, podcasts, uh, things on YouTube that are help you, helping you to understand the world. Mm. I'm obsessed with Brené Brown. <laughs> She's somebody that like, I read all of her books. For me, that's a really good way to understand people and myself and to either re-solidify that I'm on the right path for myself or to you know potentially start rethinking things. Um, and also to just continually live in the right way for me. And that's for me is, is really podcasts, um, podcasts and books for sure. So if you can start doing that, like amazing, that's a really good way to, to begin to change your mindset. Mm, definitely. And I like the one up here as well. Ask for help. Um, mm -hmm. I was thinking about this. We oh were giving gosh. some thought in sort of rehearsal of this. Of It maybe sounds intimidating to, to ask someone. So if there's a particular career you're aspiring to, reach out to someone who's doing that. Or, you know, if you don't know what they yeah. do, but it looks interesting, ask them what they do. Because I think the chances are that person would be very flattered that someone is coming Absolutely. to you and asking for advice. Whereas we maybe see it as, oh, we don't want to pester them or, or whatever. But playing up to the ego, I think. Yeah. For many years, I've um, mentored final year undergrads or new graduates. And that's one of my really early pieces of advice that, you know, first off, it's amazing they've come to me. They've signed up for a mentorship program. That is like one first great step. There's no shame in getting help. I think sometimes, again, if I looked back at myself 10 or 15 years ago, if I felt I had help, then I wouldn't feel that that success was mine. Mm -hmm. And that would take away from my feelings of accomplishment. And that really is not true nobody gets anywhere completely alone so asking for help is a really crucial skill I think to have where you can say you know I've I've, I've thought of all these different things here are the kind of solutions I've been thinking about but I really need your help and I really want to know how did you get to where you are can we have a conversation if somebody messaged me on LinkedIn completely randomly out the blue saying hey Lorna I really want to get into working with universities um do you have 10 minutes just to have a chat about what you've been doing I would be outrageously flattered and I'd say here's an hour <laughs> let's chat <laughs> immediately you know because I think that that really shows something about a person yeah. either confidence or bravery because if you're not confident and you're terrified and you've pushed yourself to reach out to a stranger that's a fantastic place to start everything goes yeah. up from there definitely and I, I think as well linking back to maybe social media and sort of what we're or society's trends at the moment of this kind of comparison culture whilst reaching out to someone who's already achieved what you're looking for is great but maybe don't compare too much your journey to theirs because obviously everyone's yeah. on their own path and you know the likelihood is they've got years of experience doing it already so you're if you're just at the milestone one 
there's no harm in being in a different place and, and trying to not let that demotivate you too much. Totally. I have to say, I love Joe Wicks for this. Anyone else Joe Wicks fans out there? I love Joe Wicks. And every now and again, he will share back to his story about being on like, I think it's Clapham Common um, or Wimbledon Common, just standing out there in the cold with nobody coming to him for months and months on end. Mm. And I love that he shares that, that way, that's where he came from and that the, gra the graph that went into where he is now and also that it's, he's done that with his brother, he's done that with his partner, with his wife, with his team. I really love him as a fantastic example of somebody who has achieved incredible success, changed so many people's lives in the process and never forgets where he's come from. Whereas lots of social media channels are like, oh my gosh, I'm perfect. I've always yeah. had everything over time in my life and this is, I was popped out just like this, which is not true. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. I think that links back to social media diet. Yeah. And Joe Wicks is a, is a good idol to have. So while we've been chatting, we've got a couple of questions coming through. So uh -huh. I'm put the, the first one up was a very long question. Um, so I know a lot of companies that would be more interested in the person, their experience and fit for the job role for recruitment. However, people may not apply if they don't have a degree in that particular area, e.g. Mm. a degree in events. Also, when recruitment companies ask employers, they seem to feel the need to put something there. Do you advise applying for jobs, even if you don't necessarily have the qualifications? Oh my gosh, Bridie's got so many great questions here. I, it's difficult to say. I think every every company works slightly differently. And increasingly, um, particularly big companies are moving towards blind applications. Um, I think a degree shows that you have uh, an element of commitment and, um, again, academic acumen. I personally, I guess maybe this is maybe this is a kind of like the, the feminist in me. I read years ago that uh, men apply for jobs where they have 50% of the skills and women apply for jobs where they have 100% of the skills. And very quickly, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have to have everything. And a degree, I think, is part of that. You know, I, I work in higher education and work with universities and many of my colleagues don't have a degree themselves but they really understand students they really understand the system of universities and have great skills if you really think that you'd love it that you'd be good at it absolutely i would apply for it and i would probably also reach out to the hiring manager or the hr department there to have an informal chat for most job applications there's always a there's normally a contact on there to say you know to have an informal conversation and I think I always love that again when somebody reaches out um, ahead of an application to say I'm really interested in this role can I can I talk to you and hear more about it that goes back to asking for help it's putting yourself in the best possible position for success so I would firstly definitely consider applying and definitely apply but also to begin with reach out to the hiring manager to say I have loads of experience I'm concerned about this this is why I'm going to be so good at this does not having this qualification completely preclude me for this. It's also worth saying my background's marketing. I have not a single marketing qualification. I've done no marketing training, but have buckets of experience. And I've, you know, worked in roles where it's been a requirement and have still got the job. Mm. I think a conversation is always good as well, if you can get it in there of sort of explaining, because if there's sort of a CV that comes in and it just doesn't fit, fit the requirements, it might just go to the no pile or whatever, but having a conversation to sort of justify is, is a good idea. Yeah. Um, and as a follow up there, so we've got how do you think we can be or sorry, how do you think we can make ourselves open for people to ask for help? Social media. Mm. Questions. Well, I think that's a good one. And maybe what you just talked about, Lorna, as well for, for recruiters, maybe any crew, recruiters listening or anyone looking for um, candidates is what you said, being open to conversations at the end um, and putting contact details out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I think being some, especially, I guess LinkedIn is like the obvious one, right? LinkedIn is the obvious mm. place to talk about careers and to gain help and feedback and ask and ask questions. Um, thinking about some of the great hire managers I know, it literally says, contact me, speak to me, reach out. Their details are on there and their mobile phone numbers on there. And, and also sharing a lot, engaging in conversation elsewhere by being present and visible in other conversations with other people in the industry that can make, um, that just, it shows that you're open and interested in having a conversation. Mm, definitely. Do you know, on the same article that that um, first quote or first statistic came from that we shared on the slides, the same article shares um, that 60%, I think, of jobs come from networking rather than application. So I definitely think that LinkedIn That's is That's so place interesting. To start. Nepotism. And yeah, it's very mm. word of mouth and sort of, maybe they even have the conversation before the application even goes up so they've already got it kind of thing because they're already there in mind so I yeah think that's that's worth thinking about yeah absolutely well we're almost coming to time but we had some um or Lorna sort of in the preparation you sent me some questions of how someone might start to kind of potentially find fulfillment um in their role at the moment or perhaps if they needed to look elsewhere or start thinking about moving on do you want to talk us through these yeah absolutely so um I separately run um, a, a podcast and uh, one of the things that I found super, super interesting as part of doing the interviews with, with other people is seeing that often what young people want to do at a really, really young age is central and core to who they are and what they value. Um, and there's nine times out of 10 a relationship between that very early point and where they are now. Um, so two questions that I always think is a really good place to start when you're thinking about re-looking at life is, what did you want to do before secondary school? You know, I think the primary school is a place that you can um, explore creativity in a really big way. So what, what did you want to do that? And then also, you know, what would you do if you, if you'd never had to work again, what would you spend your time doing? I personally, like I, I'm a workaholic. I wouldn't ever be not working. Um, but I think that's a really good way to think about what you value very, very deeply um, within yourself. What was your answer to this, Alistair? That was a great one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, number one was, um, what did I want to be before secondary school? I always wanted to be a journalist. And I think we we talk about this on our episode, Lorna, but I'm kind of doing that almost through sort of podcasting and this means. So it's kind of like a, a sideline tick. And what would I do now if I never had to work again? I think I would do use my skills in sort of event planning but for maybe people that can't afford the higher wage of an event manager so for example not-for-profits charities and things like that and help them fundraise through giving my services to them um to, to plan sort of fundraising events love that what Amazing. about yourself um so i actually think what i wanted to be i've kind of moved far away from that but uh, i wanted to be a, a neurosurgeon very specifically <laughs> Seven, eight years old, I was like, I'm cutting people's brains. That sounds amazing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I married a doctor, so kind of, you know, by proxy, not a neurosurgeon though. Um, And, but what I would do if I had no money, I think this is actually, this is the thing that's closest to me really, is I would, if money was an object and I, it was, it was uh, unlimited, I would just do degree after degree after degree. I would spend my life on university campuses, learning about things that I didn't know before. I think I'd start either with maybe physics or economics behavioral economics maybe having done English and American literature at undergrad um yeah so I, I think kind of working with universities it's clearly the right moment for me because all I would ever do is spend time on university campuses anyway hmm. I think that shows your love for learning and university so that sounds true apt. 
Wonderful. Well, we are just coming to time, but um, if anyone wants any further insights from myself or from Lorna, we both have podcasts on the go. Uh, Destination Unknown is an amazing podcast by Lorna talking about, um, or shedding light, perhaps, should we say, on sort of unknown career areas, mm. um, which is always a source of inspiration and also entertainment. And of course, my show as well, shedding light on, or trying to break down barriers of the perfect expectations, which we've talked about here as well. If you've enjoyed this LinkedIn Live, we have have another one taking place on the 25th of February at 9am. Um, team building and employee engagement with Charlotte Crabtree. That's live on my profile section now if you want to join us for that one. But Lorna, thank you so much for joining me today. I've got a lot out of this chat and I hope that our listeners... Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for Take having me. And just to say, Alice's episode is fantastic on <laughs> Destination Unknown. Really great. It was so much fun to record. I had a lot of fun. So yeah, do give Good. it a listen. Thanks so much, Alistair. And Thank you, have everyone. a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening, fellow imperfectionist. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope it has inspired you to get closer to your true purpose in life. If you have a question, thoughts on this episode or suggestions of topics or even future guests, I would love to hear from you. Visit pickingupperfection.com slash participate. You can also follow me on my socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, and even contact me via email. Links for all of this are in the show notes. See you next time.